Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. Episode 246. Today we're going to be talking about magic, ritual, Beltane with the magical recipe lady, Zeta Christian. But before that, we have to go back to last week's episode, Wendy. Oh my gosh. And that's where we discussed the film Antrim. The deadliest film ever made. That's right. And, uh, you know, part of that episode was uh, me talking in the voice of the producer of the movie in your best california goth <laughs> yes, voice california goth voice eric 13 and i did a whole voice and i said it as quotes and things like that uh it turns out eric 13 listened to the episode yes how about that how about that <laughs> so anyway number one he's a good sport uh, and number two, we want you to go see Antrim when it comes out because it's going to be a lot of fun. It's yes. going to be a lot of fun. Now, no one really died watching it, so don't worry about that. But the movie is going <laughs> to be a lot of fun. And Eric 13 had a message for us and the listeners of the See You on the Other Side podcast. Here is Mr. 13. Wendy and Mike, my name is Eric 13. I am the producer of the film Antrim that you guys talked about. I just found the episode and I wanted to say first that I'm so happy that there's a podcast that's also talking about WYSIWYG and Cannibal Holocaust on the very same episode. It's a complete Venn diagram of my own interests. But also that you guys are on the right side of history about the film Spring Breakers, which is magnificent. And on that topic, a lot of really good call-outs for the other movies you talked about. In terms of See You on the Other Side, I did think it was a really bold choice to name your podcast after a corn album, but you're musicians, maybe you know better than I do. Anyways, I appreciate your effort to clear the air. You guys might be surprised to find out that I am a hardcore skeptic. I'm a big proponent of science, and I think that, you know, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. I did want to clarify a couple things regarding some points you guys had made. First, that Eric 13 is my real name. That's not just my real name now. It was also, yes, my real name when I worked in Silicon Valley. And also, yes, I did dress like a ridiculous goth kid while I worked there. I don't drink champagne, nor do I drink at all, but I do work on the marketing as well for the movie Antrim. So I I appreciate the kudos there. I wanted to talk about the reality of the film a little bit. That's where I mostly don't disagree with you, but I will say that in regards to what I had said in that interview, I have been very careful to make sure everything I say in all of these interviews is factually accurate. I didn't create the movie. I did just discover the movie. That is literally 100% true. And as you guys noticed, the writers of the film are also the actual directors of the film. It was something that I discovered at the Brooklyn Film Fest. 
I was actually at that fest not for this film, but for something I had written and directed, a short film called Disposition. It's a social issues film. It's a movie, horror movie about depression. And that's when I found this film. So that story is literally true. It's also 100% true about the film festivals. The programmer there, Matt Barone, really cool guy, found the film before I found the film, and he put it in the fest, and it's only because of that fest that I even knew about it, came onto the project, and really felt like, this is a cool movie. Other people should see this movie. The biggest thing I wanted to clear up is that it's actually not a mockumentary. A lot of places have kind of run with that, We didn't send out a massive press release to all these different paranormal outlets that are running the story. So I don't know where they're getting that. It has a little bit of talking head footage in it, but barely any at all. It is mostly the movie that looks like a 1970s film. So what you're actually watching when you watch the film is a feature-length narrative movie that is about what you guys described, digging the whole to hell. I think maybe because it's fun to play with the story, outlets kind of try to keep a foot behind the curtain when they cover it, but that's not really up to me. I am really glad that you liked the quotes because I thought they were really, really funny. And I'm actually a little sad that no one picked up on that layer at all, but I was certainly having a laugh about it. So I hope that answers some questions. Like I said, I'm a proponent of science and a science-based skeptic. I don't believe in cursed film, but I do believe in film. And I'm just trying to shine a light on this one. I'm glad that you guys talked about it. I'd love to talk to some of these other paranormal places and just ask them what the hell they're doing. But I do appreciate the kudos because indie filmmaking is really, really hard. And trying to get a weird movie out there is extremely tough so a lot of work has gone into securing that release and making sure people will be able to see this movie see what this is i should address wendy's other question which was how long does it take to dig a hole to hell and the answer is approximately 95 minutes so his name actually is 13. That's and, the coolest ever. We apologize for that, for assuming that it was a pen name. Right. We, but, oh, come on. Of course. That's I was awesome. Pen name. That is an awesome name. <laughs> you know, I, and I'm not one to make fun of anyone's name. Uh, obviously, rhymes with puberty is going to be a killer. But uh, good sport. And it sounds like the movie is going to be a lot of fun. So good yes. luck with that, Eric. Yes. And, and thanks again for listening to our show and yes. for responding to it. Right. And for and, and keeping us honest. Yes. That's uh, we absolutely appreciate that. So thank you very much. Now, uh, in that spirit of fun, uh, we've got a very cool guest lined mm. up today. She has a YouTube channel. She is a former romance author, and uh, blah, 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 blah. yes, boom. And she's a lady with a, a deep knowledge of ceremony and rituals and magic. Mm. And because we're coming on the changing of the seasons here, Wendy. Yeah. Even though it doesn't always feel like the changing of the seasons here. <laughs> We're saying that we're bitter today because it's supposed to be seven. It's like it's the end of April. We're supposed right. to get like six inches of snow tomorrow. But hopefully we're going to get some of these rituals coming up to help the spring mm, come in let's full bring force. It. And that's why we're bringing on somebody awesome today. Joining us today is the life cycle celebrant and ritualist Zeta Christian all the way 
from the Commonwealth of Connecticut. How are you doing today, Zita? Welcome to the show. I'm just fine, Mike. Just fine, Wendy. And uh, it's great to be here. Yes, and no, it's great to have you. So um, that's a, a fairly complicated title right there, the Life Cycle Celebrant and Ritualist. Um, for those of us like me who may not exactly know what that is, uh, can, you, can you lay that on out? Absolutely. I am a, a life cycle celebrant indicates that I have been formally trained through the Celebrant Foundation and Institute. It's a, an organization in New Jersey that trains civilians in the history and structure of ritual. And I specialized in weddings. So I learned the history and structure of wedding rituals from cultures all around the world. And being a life cycle celebrant also means I have the opportunity to learn additional information to help individuals, couples, families with other passages in the life cycle. And that may be the birth of a baby, a vow renewal, uh, maybe a, a death, a funeral, a memorial service, blending of families, any of those, any of those passages whether it's a big rite of passage or a smaller family event that people go through from, as they say, cradle to grave. So that is that life cycle. I find ways to help people celebrate the passages in the cycle of life. As a ritualist, which I was long before I found out about the Celebrant Foundation, I have been performing rituals for myself and for family and for groups for many, many years um, not even realizing that it had a uh, a formal connotation. Sure. So, you know, why do you think that rituals are important? Or, or you know, do you feel that uh, we are more or less attuned to uh, the idea of rituals now in, in our modern society? Oh, Mike, rituals are important because I think what has happened, and if you look back, back into the Industrial Revolution, when people left the agricultural world and went into an industrial world. And what happened then, it was like a it was a cool thing to be part of the industrial world, to have a job in a factory, to work in the town. And people who lived out in the country and who worked the land and were farmers, they were looked down upon as being backwards, being country bumpkins. And yet they were the people who were in touch with the cycles of nature and the the rhythm of the land, uh, the growing season, the dying season, the need to honor both. And as our society changed and people turned away from the agricultural community, we lost those the ways to mark passages in our life. Without ritual, it's like living inside a hamster wheel. And the wheel turns and turns and turns, and you're always inside, you never see the outside picture. And every once in a while, if the wheel stops, the only thing you notice is that you marked time. Just time went by, and you look back and go, where did it go? Where did the year go? Nothing is different. Or you celebrate certain holidays, let's say Christmas or you know Hanukkah or Yule or Solstice, however you celebrate that season when the light returns in December. If you don't have rituals to help celebrate, that holiday or holy day easily becomes just another commercial event, and there's nothing deep, there's nothing meaningful about it. So without ritual, we have no way to mark the passages, the big rites of passage and the little passages in a life, our own life and in the lives of those we love. 
And without the ritual, those rites of passage that used to have such deep meaning become empty and commercial and meaningless. And we lose our connection to the earth. You know, I like what you said there, um, because it always reminds me of my friends that do not live in climates that have four seasons, you know, or my cousins that live in Hawaii. uh, They're just like, you know, we really miss uh, the seasons. And I'm like, you know what? You can have mine. <laughs> you can, you, know, you, you can, take our polar vortex. Yeah, you can. You can have the fact that it's going to put six inches of snow on the ground tomorrow at the end of April, when we should be celebrating the change of the season to spring. That's true, and especially after the rough winter that we had this year, I think it's clear already. You know how much people are appreciating the spring, <laughs> right? It, yes, because we we notice the difference. We we can see the difference, and when you can see it outside, and if you take a few quiet moments, whether it's in a small, simple ritual that you do in the morning, or a ritual before you go to bed, or a ritual before you step out of your front door, when you take those few moments to notice with intention the fact that the world is changing, and then know that something inside is mirroring that change and it it gives life a a deeper appreciation that's right i i I do agree that taking time to appreciate something and and rituals are you know what that is taking time it's it's like have you ever done one of those tea rituals or you know when you go in and you you smell like usually I order a cup of tea or something or usually it's the cup of the strongest blackest coffee I could find but when you do the tea ritual and you sit there and then you you breathe in the tea and you like try to get the smoke all like in your face and things <laughs> like that. Well, you know what I mean though mm-hmm. yes right like the steam yes the steam there you go the steam you try to appreciate the tea. Yeah. And normally, I'm not the kind of guy that appreciates the tea. I'm like, does it have caffeine? I want it all of it. It's making yourself more conscientious and more, you know, mindful as the mindful mindfulness ritual, right? Mm -hmm. It is. But there's there's also when you get into it deeper, let's say you're having a cup of chai. That's one of my Mm, favorites, a nice cup of chai tea. And you've got some cream in it. Well, it's not just appreciating the fact that it really tastes good and it feels good going down. But you look at it in pieces and there are the, there are le- that steam that's coming up off the top. Okay. That's very much that idea of energy from the East, that, that air, something that, that is in that air that is coming in and you're breathing it in. And then you're, you're, acknowledging the heat of the tea. And that's a very Southern direction, or at least for those of us in the Northern Hemisphere. Sure, right. There's a very Southern energy, a very um, um, heat red South. And then the fact that it's something you're drinking that's wet, water, Western energy. And that's where, you know, we're cleansed and where memories are made and where we, where we go to die, where forgiveness happens. And then you have the stability in the north, and that's the fact that you are drinking something that came from leaves that were rooted to a plant. I mean, they were attached to a plant rooted in the earth. So when you realize that what you are imbibing has the energy of all four directions, then you can look at that and go, you know, realize the the blessing that comes from each of the four directions and say, by drinking this tea, I'm grateful for 
all of the energy and the gifts from these four directions. And I celebrate them and acknowledge them and I'm grateful. And now you have had that appreciate, appreciating moment of enjoying the tea, but you can make it a ritual. Ah. I, I really like that. Now that is something I wouldn't even think of. Yeah. Usually when I start with the tea, I'm like, all right, give me something stronger. You're you know, thinking more of your senses and that aspect of it, but, but this is like connecting it to you something know, physical earth. Yes. I like yes. that. Well, you know, I think what you just did there, uh, Zita, is that you, you took something simple like drinking a cup of tea and you broke it down into a ton of symbolism um, that represents like a holistic look at, you know, creation and existence and things like that. Now, how do you get there? Like, how, how did you get to be the kind of person who takes the tea, the tea ceremony, the tea, tea ritual, <laughs> and can break it down into all those component parts and find four beautiful things about something that I'm usually just thinking like, is it warm enough? Is it cold enough? Does it need sugar? Yes, it needs sugar. You know, that kind of thing. How, how did you get here? Well, I'll say first that destiny is a wide road. And I say that because a lot of times I set out to learn something and it doesn't it doesn't take me where I think it's going to go it takes me in a whole different direction but I've learned to appreciate the meandering of life so go back to first psychic experience I'm 9 years old then I have several other psychic experiences in my teens and I didn't know quite how to handle them. Well, I, yeah. Wait, yeah, hold on. Before we just <laughs> like, just gloss over, I had a psychic experience. What kind of experience was it? I mean, was it a premonition of something? Was it a feeling of connection to someone else? Um, did you did you not get on a plane that crashed? Well, the first time it happened, I was playing uh, a board game. It was called Game of the States. I don't even think they exist anymore. This was back in the fifties. Okay, but there was a map of the United States. And uh, on a board, and there were uh, prongs that had a little electric, I don't even know what to call them, but you would put a little one little prong into a state, each state had a little hole in it, and then the other prong, you would have to match it to something on the outer rim of the board game. So if the, if the board game said state flowers, ah. you would put one prong in Virginia, and then you had to match the state flower along the border. That's a and nice if you game. matched, the, the board would light up. Cool. So I was playing the game and I thought, oh, this is good. And you know, I'm getting the flowers and the birds and the mottos and all that stuff. And then I just sat back and I looked at it and I just asked the board. Now I'm in Virginia down in like the Tidewater area. And I asked the board, where is the man I'm going to marry going to come from? Now, I'd never done anything with Ouija boards. I didn't know what a Ouija board was. Right. And I've never done anything with any kind of boards since then. But that day, the New England area on the map lit up with what I call the, the pulsing energy. And first, there was a black pulsing energy in the area of Connecticut. Now, I'd never been... I'd never been to Connecticut, never been to New England. And then as I watched, the energy changed to red. And there was a red pulsing energy that got huge. It, it, it stretched out, it spread all over the board game, went over the board game and off like into the room and up the walls. And I wasn't afraid or anything, but I knew it was, it, this was something special. So I went to my mother 
And I told her what had happened, and I asked her what that meant. She sat me down in the dining room, and she said, that's not something that you should ever talk about outside of the house. Oh, boy. And I found out years later, my mother was very psychic, but I didn't know that. It's not something we had ever talked about. She assured me that it was not something to be afraid of. And she, you know, she just, she didn't have an answer for me, but it was just more the assurance that it wasn't something to be afraid of, but that it was private. That's pretty cool, though, that you felt that. You were nine years old, you played this game. You did the classic little girl kind of thing, you know, where, you you know, like with the apple, you twist the apple, uh, you twist the apple stem with the ABCs, yeah, and then whatever the whatever comes out, if it comes out at L, you're going to marry a guy named Larry, or you know D, yeah. you're going to marry a guy named uh, Dick or something. So, you know, you were doing that, and you asked that kind of classic question, and except instead of having like a random thing, like, well, here's where the apple stem came off, you had a pulsing energy show up in your light up board game. Yes, and then when when I got older. Uh, I've been married twice. The first marriage, uh, both marriages were in, well, one was in Virginia, but my husband was from Connecticut, and that that marriage did not go well. There were some wonderful things that came from it, but it did not go well. And Sure, thanks, psychic board game. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, yeah. Milton Bradley, a big jerk. And, in a way, it was it was a thank you thing because I remember when it happened, I thought, oh, there's that black pulsing energy. But then I remembered there was also the red pulsing energy. And years after the divorce, I met the man I, I then married. And we've been married for 38 years, and it was absolutely wonderful. But that red pulsing energy experience happened again the day my mother died, and I was looking at the clock, and the two o'clock started, the two started pulsing this big red energy, just shooting out all over the room, like light bending on all the corners of the wall. She died at two o'clock. Now, is this something you see, is this something you see physically or is it something you see in your mind's eye or is it something? Oh no, it was physical. It was very physical. I was certain that anybody who came in the room would see the same thing, but there was nobody else. Wow. I was alone in the room, but it was quite physical. Okay. It was like like I have crystals hanging in the window in my office, and you know when the light shines in at a certain time of the day, and the the little rainbows bounce all over oh, the yeah. wall. Anybody can, coming in can see all the rainbows. Sure. So I thought it was the same. It was the same thing. It was a physical energy, and then it happened on the calendar. I had a wall calendar the day that my daughter was born. the The doctors said she'd be born in early June, but there was a date on the end of July that that started pulsing and and shooting out all over the place and she was born at the end of July. Oh wow. And That's so pretty late. <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say. Yeah, yeah, like the, the kid the kid came out, she could read. Exactly. <laughs> and and she didn't need a flashlight. She you know found her way easily. That was playing a red light, no letting That's her know amazing. where to go. Wow. So that that whole that whole psychic thing was where was where things started. And then as I got older, I got interested in astrology and not in a big way, just just very little. And I was writing a book and in the book I needed to I needed some astrological information. So I contacted now by this time I'm I'm Wait, older. hold on. What, now what kind of what kind of book are you writing? 
where you need astrological information. It's like it's like it's not like a biography of Willie Mays or something like that. Like what kind of book? No, not yet. No, I write um, historical romance novels. Ooh, so fun! I was writing. I was writing one of them, and I needed this astrological information. So I called a woman I knew, and I said, "Look, this is what I'm doing, and I'm saying this about cycles of the moon, and I want to be sure that I'm accurate." So she read it, and she said, "Yes, you're accurate. You know, you did the right research." And then we got talking more, and because of that conversation, I wound up joining this astrological association which was never my intent. It just happened. And one day at one of the meetings, there was a speaker who was there to talk about magic and astrology. Well, that opened up a whole nother world. And I started studying with her and starting studying about the structure of ritual for seasonal celebrations. That led into... Um, that led into a, this thought that maybe someday I would do rituals for weddings because at that point I had been asked, I had been asked, in fact, the woman had it in her will that I do her funeral and she was a dear friend. So I did the ceremony, the ritual for her funeral, and then did a number of memorial services for a, a large writer's group I belonged to, an international group. And other, another friend knew that I was legally qualified to do weddings, but I was still working full-time. I had a day job. I wasn't looking to do that. But this was before marriage equality was the law of the land. And she knew that in Connecticut, she and her partner could get married. She knew me. She trusted me. And she asked if I would create a wedding ceremony and if I would marry them. So I said yes. And that opened up a whole nother world. And it was so satisfying to marry this couple. And it was like when you're writing a book and I get to the end of the novel, I write the the end and, you know, shut the computer and I just sit and cry. I mean, it is a, such a cathartic release of energy and sadness to let the characters go, but joy also because in my mind, I'm thinking on some level, they're real and they're happy, but that was nothing compared to real life and marrying these two women. And that's when I thought, I want to do this more. And then that led into studying with the Celebrant Foundation. And in the Celebrant Foundation, there are people from all over the world, and they have varied backgrounds. And many of them um, bring in an element of magic into what they do in ritual. I wouldn't say most, not, certainly not most by any means, but more more people than I expected to find. All the cool ones. <laughs> so Zita, a question for you that I've been wondering is, it sounds like you're not necessarily affiliated with like a specific religion or group. Well, I, I grew up Catholic. I left the church in my 20s and i decided i decided that whatever spiritual path i followed or you know just bushwhack my own path it had to make sense to me it had to be something that i could understand and that i could see the the validity ah uh, okay uh, the principles whatever they were had to 
they had to make me a better person. Like I could contribute to the world and to society at large by following whatever the principles were. And the biggie, the the big one, which was where for me the church failed, was providing comfort in times of loss. My mom had died when I was young, and it it the church never provided that sense of comfort that I expected to find. And so I thought then there's it, I'm sure it works for other people and that's great, but it didn't work for me. So I started looking for a different path. And when I found paganism, everything made sense because I could see the, I could see the cycles of just the cycles of nature that birth and death and the renewal and the new birth and you know and life and death and renewal and the you know the the root the stem the leaf the bud the flower and then the seed and everything starts all over again so that made sense to me and the concept the the fear around death just disappeared yeah i could see where the comfort could come from that confidence that the cycle just continues it's not an yes. end. It's not a beginning. It's just a continuing cycle. Absolutely. And you know, the question that's been burning, uh, burning me for the past few minutes is: Was Fabio ever on the cover of one of your bodice rippers? No, he he was not. Okay, just had to had to ask that there because whenever I think of romance novels, I um I think of that uh, golden haired lion. Oh, so. yeah. And, and he, he was, um, from what I know, uh, not that I ever met him personally, but I understood he was a, a, or is a, a nice person oh. and you know, kind of <laughs> fell into a, a, a good job. Yeah, a sweet job where shirts are optional. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like the rest of us have to get dressed oh, for work. He has yeah. to get undressed for work. But well, so, so that's interesting that, and I was wondering about the question, sorry, not to derail from the Fabio no, here. that's but. okay. <laughs> Getting back to the, the religion question, just, you know, that's something that comes up a lot with weddings. And I'm sure people of different religions getting together or, you know, being the person doing the ritual in that case, I can imagine that you encounter a lot of different situations like that. Oh, Wendy, I do. And, and I should clarify here, through the Celebrant Foundation, I learned about the Universal Brotherhood Movement. Now, that is not the Universal Life Church. Universal Brotherhood Movement is a federally recognized religious organization founded by a husband and wife back in, I want to say, the 60s down in Florida. And they have their organization has the power to confer clergy credentials. And their organization, through their, their 501c3, is classified as a non-denominational religious organization. So in order to be ordained in this group, you have to write an essay. You need to get some letters of recommendation. You go through uh, an interview process, and then there is a physical ordination. It's not it's not an online thing of pushing a button. And I'm not denigrating that. That works beautifully for some people, and it's all they have available. But But this was different. And this was something I learned through the Celebrant Foundation. So I thought... And it sounds pretty groovy, too. You know, hey, it, hey it man, is. it does. Universal Brotherhood, man. 
Yeah, it is. And I kept thinking, well, add something about the sisterhood in there. But, there but the go. organization was founded many years ago. So I thought oh. that's okay. I, <laughs> sure. I get where you're going. But it's a, because it's non-denominational, I feel comfortable when I work with couples, because I do a lot of interfaith, or I used to anyway, a lot of interfaith weddings, because you find you find couples, maybe they don't follow a spiritual path at all, or they have two very different spiritual paths. And they're certainly okay, the two of them, in you know, getting married and moving forward, creating their own path. But they want to satisfy parents and grandparents and make them feel comfortable about the wedding. And that's where that's where my understanding of what the beauty and the magic of wedding rituals and other rituals throughout the world that you know you can draw on them to create something that still has meaning. And then what I do is I like to incorporate, I create a ritual called the family blessing. And I incorporate wisdom that came from the parents and the grandparents. And I include that actually in the wedding ceremony. So the parents and grandparents, even if they're initially upset that, oh, well, my son, daughter, granddaughter, grandson, they're not getting married in a church or a temple and, and, you know, things aren't going to go right. Well, when they hear that the person getting married embodied, remembered, and lives by the wisdom and the teachings that they gave them, the work ethic, the understanding of the importance of something, the the teaching to be compassionate, uh, then they realize, well, they got the best of me. They got the best of what I had to give them. And then there's there's not the the worry and the the anxiety that comes when you're a person who thinks that the only way that a couple is going to be happy is if they get married under some authority. Sure. Well, sure. And that's a good way to put it, you know, rather than because I can, I'm just picturing the more conservative members of my family just like they're going to have a pagan wedding. What? Yes. Are they going to sacrifice a goat or something? <laughs> like, what's going to happen? Is it, are, are people going to be naked? What kind of thing is this? Like, I've seen the Wicker Man. Like, you know, so you always have that worry uh, that, you know, somebody's not going to be really cool. So I like the way you put it, that way you, you try to find a way to get the, the wisdom of the parents and the grandparents in there. Um, I mean, I guess your mileage may vary depending on your parents and grandparents. But, um, yes. uh, but you know, that, that, that's a really kind of cool thing. So, you know, before you got into uh, celebrating weddings, um, when did you get into the magical part of the ritual? Because there's, I mean, everything, you can meditate and have a ritual. You can even have a ritual while you're shaving. You know, the OCD among us will have a ritual when they get ready for certain kind of things or, uh, you know, people do things to get ready for a big game, like wear their hat backwards, wear their favorite jock strap, stuff like that. <laughs> so, no, I mean, they, well, they, do, they do like baseball <laughs> players do that kind of stuff all the sure, time. Yeah. So, you know, when did you get into the... Um, the actual magic part of it. I wish I could point to a specific time. I don't know. I know I started reading books about magic in the 70s. And gosh, I'd have to sit and look back through journals and something and see if I could find something particular. Oh, that's okay. Yeah. It's been a long time. <laughs> it has been a very long time. The 70s were way back. When I started celebrating seasonal rituals, that's when a different sense of magic came in because there were, you know, started working with incense and with 
bells and feathers, things that would involve the movement of air and things involving heat, you know, with, with candle flames um, and things in, you know, with with water and just being out in the earth, being, you know, barefoot. I mean, they call that now there is a, oh, it's this whole new thing called earthing. You take your shoes off and walk on the earth. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, well, I guess it is new if you've never walked barefoot out <laughs> oh, on the grass. Right. You know, and then, then I, um, I trained with, I trained with a woman for six years and she brought in the magic. And she, she brought in the, the idea, the, I think what makes a difference between a routine, which can be, you know, like you were talking about the, you know, baseball players doing certain things or, you know, the, the routines that they do before a game and, and it becomes ritual when they are saying, I'm doing the routine to bring me luck or to keep me safe or to bring a, a good end result. But the physical action without the intent is just a routine. So what I learned from this woman was that connection between the action and the intent and the use of certain props. Well, how, how did you train with her? What does it mean by that? Like, where did you, I mean, and I'm just saying, it seems like it's it's easier now to find people with the, with the advent of the internet uh, to to find fellow people who are like, I'm going to be in the magic band. We're going to train together. You're going to be my adept. Like, where do you find somebody in the 70s to train with? Well, in the 70s, I, I didn't. Okay. That, that was totally on my own. But in 2001, I was at one of those astrology meetings, that group I joined that, you know, I had no intention initially of joining. Well, I was at, I was at one of the monthly meetings and the woman who was speaking was talking about the connection between astrology and magic. And it was my birthday. And I had decided that if I liked this woman, I would book an astrological reading with her. Well, it turned out her birthday is the same as mine. And I thought, okay, I definitely want to have a reading with this woman. So I booked a reading with her and she stayed in town for a couple of days to, you know, to visit and do some other things. And I met with her and what was supposed to be an hour wound up being three hours because we just connected on a level I didn't know about. And she saw some things in my natal chart and she asked me some questions if I had ever done magic. And I said, no. Um, And she asked if I was interested and I said, I guess so. I mean, I never even, I hadn't thought about it in the sense of learning, studying it formally. It was just something that was there. It was just in the ether. And she invited me to come up and join her group. There was men and women, and they met at Hogwarts twice a month. Sorry? At Hogwarts? My, it was kind of like Hogwarts. So these jokes are so much, dumb. I'm sorry. It was very much like Hogwarts, only out in the woods. That's awesome. <laughs> way up in New Hampshire. Oh, beautiful. Way okay. out in the woods. And she said, come in the daytime. You will get lost if you try to find your way at night. So I remember my husband saying, I can't believe you are going to go up there. It's a three-hour drive. You're going to have to stay overnight. And you don't know this woman. <laughs> and 
and she's telling you, you'll get lost if you try to find your way in the dark. And I had to explain to him, I, I can't explain why I'm doing this. I felt compelled hmm. in a way that I just simply cannot describe. And after that gathering, I wound up going up to her home twice a month for four years and then once a month for two additional years to train with her, to study oils, to study trees, to study plants, to study the movement of energy, to study all kinds of things related to magic. And then it was long after that, it was several years after that, that I found out about the Celebrant Foundation and the history and structure of ritual. I already had all of this training in magic but I didn't have history and structure or like ritual for weddings. But I was able to blend like it was this perfect alchemy. Wow. Yeah, it's like all the pieces turned up right when you needed them to. They really did. Yeah, like, the star, like the stars were aligned. Yeah. That's incredible. And especially the way that, it, you know, it sounds like that woman, what she sensed it's just fascinating that you had had those sort of uh, psychic or whatever you want to call it experiences. Right, the synchronicity. And it's like of, she knew. They say it's your birthday. Yes. She could, it's, it's my yes. birthday too, yeah. Yeah, she yes. could sense that. That's amazing. And so astrologically, we were talking a, a similar language because, I mean, she's, you know, she she has an astrological publishing company. She's, you know, light years in knowledge beyond anything I'll ever be. And she was very generous and is very generous in sharing her information. And I was the hungry sponge and it was a, a beautiful relationship. And I have since then been able to pass on the knowledge that I learned. I've been able to pass it on to other people. Well, you know, I think of our audience, the CNN said audience as a bunch of hungry sponges. And uh, you know, they're probably wondering, okay, we're, we're coming up on Beltane and May Day. And, you know, those things have, a, you know, those dates. A lot of rituals involved, A, a right? lot of rituals and a lot of uh, significance and a lot of symbolism behind them. So are you doing anything uh, Beltane-specific or, you know, uh, into spring kind of rituals, anything like that coming up? Oh, I sure am. There's a little New Age, a little New Age gift shop spiritual boutique in Connecticut, in Manchester, where I live. And the little shop is called Meg's Inspirations. And at Meg's, I I conduct uh, maybe not all eight of the Sabbaths, the big eight festivals uh, in the Celtic year. I, I try to do most of them there, but sometimes weather and schedules just prohibit it. Sure. But Beltane is one that I, I've done at her shop for many years, and I'll be doing it again on May Day. And there's always something a little different every year with with most of the rituals that I do, except with Beltane, one of the key features for the rituals that I conduct are the fairies. This is Ooh. when I bring out the fairies. And I make these little tiny, about three inch high fairies from artificial silk flowers and little wooden heads and just little, Aww. I don't know, just fun things. That sounds and, cute. And I bring a ton of these little fairies and they, they decorate this, you know, 12, 18 foot long table with other fairies and maybe waterfalls and I mean, water fountains and uh, 
artificial trees and real flowers and all different kinds of symbols of of Beltane. And and I work with the energy of fairy messages. So that's that's always a popular a popular ritual to do. So yes, I'm definitely doing a Beltane ritual. That sounds fun. Yes, well, I want to go. But the thing is, I'm not going to be able to make it to Meg's inspirations, Aww. unfortunately, this right. week. But but let's go into it real quick. So for the for the people who may not be familiar with Beltane, a little bit, what is this particular holiday? Well, think of think of the think of the calendar year as divided like a wheel and divided into eight spokes, and Beltane is one of the spokes on the wheel and the whole energy in the wheel is about the the it's about the the it's about growing it's about birth life death and renewal it's all that agricultural things we were talking about about earlier and so much of all the festivals are based around the sun because everything in agricultural communities had to do with the sun the life-giving force so if you think about Samhain, what we think of as Halloween, and that is when uh, you know everything is underground. The, the the focus of the energy is in the underworld, where the life is renewing. It is the the dead are coming coming back to life, and then you have the the winter solstice, and that's the the, uh, the second spoke, and all of that energy is that promise of new light. There was a belief of faith that the sun would actually return to whatever hemisphere you know the, the people lived in. I hope our faith will be rewarded in Wisconsin this year. It seems like it seems <laughs> yeah, like they don't yeah, want no, it to be. Yeah, and I'm in Connecticut. I mean, you guys got it a lot worse than we did. It was it was really tough. But you have to have, you know, you have to have faith. You have to look around and go, yes, the sun is going to come back. Might not get here in April, maybe not Till May, maybe not till early June, but it's coming. I have faith. I have faith. I'm gonna need some. Me too. And so then you then you come into early February and you have in bulk. And that was that was all thought of or or it was classified, characterized by the 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 lambs, the the ewes, the milk coming in to the the animals. And it was that whole idea of life will be reborn. There is new life coming. And then you know, you have the vernal equinox and the the festival of Ostara, the 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 dawn goddess who is coming, and she's bringing all of the the energy to make things bloom, to actually show that life life has returned, spring has come, and then you have Beltane. That's the next one. That's that's like one of the two of the biggest festivals of the year, Beltane and Samhain. The you know the the energy of life. The Beltane is the the young maiden and the young lord, the 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 green man and the you know the the goddess, and it is that courtship, it is that that fertility that needs to happen in order for the earth to be renewed, in order for the plants to grow again. So Beltane is all about fertility. It's all about the male and the female energy coming together. And so much was and is in some places that idea that um, uh, like attracts like. So if you wanted your fields, if you're a farmer and you wanted your fields to have a good yield, have a good crop, to be fertile, you would make love in the field. I mean, that was a physical act. Good plan. I'm sorry? Oh, yes. Good, good plan. That was sounds like a good plan. 
<laughs> oh, yeah, ab- absolutely. I got to find and, a field. Uh, well, I'll find someone. Yeah, and then you have to find Gosh. somebody else who wants to fertilize the field this right, right. way. It's the whole tough but, part. You know, it it beats chemicals, uh, you know, every, every which way. <laughs> absolutely. So, it, and then you'd have the maypole, which was another symbol of fertility. So you have this phallic symbol of the tree and different cultures would say that the tree should be cut from certain trees. Uh, so it's, it's not a definite thing, but anyway, you would have a long straight tree and then there would be a wreath of flowers and the wreath would be placed on the top of the pole and there would be streamers, ribbon streamers coming down from the pole. And traditionally you would have red streamers and white streamers and the men the men would all hold on to white streamers, symbolizing semen. The women would all hold on to red streamers, symbolizing blood that a woman could bleed but not die. So you would have uh, the, well, there's a, a choreography that would be arranged and the women would all go in a certain direction. Men would all go in an outer circle in a certain direction, holding these ribbons. And as they would move to the music and chanting and drumming, the ribbons would weave themselves around the pole. And as they would weave themselves around the pole, the ribbons get shorter, meaning the people have to get closer. So as you get to the end of your ribbon, you're like on top of each other. And and that's part of the that's just part of the celebration. All right. Yeah, I was gonna say Beltane sounds way better than the stuff that I was doing. Absolutely. I mean you've got to have the May wine and so there's um it's just a, it's a it's a it's a beautiful festival, and then the wreath at the top, this round wreath covered with flowers. When the ribbons are outstretched, the outstretched ribbons are holding the wreath up. But when the ribbons are all woven, and now they are covering this shaft, the wreath falls down. And ah. if you're an adult, okay, you get the symbolism. <laughs> and if yeah. you're not an adult, you just think, oh, that's pretty. Come back later when that's you're an great. adult. I mean, what I like that there's nothing Freudian yeah. about any of this. No. No, it's all well, and it was so it was blatant, it's yeah. blatantly symbolic of what needed to happen. The earth needed to be fertilized, and it's. I mean, we think about it now. We we look at the crisis with bees, and we think if things are not pollinated, if our flowers and plants are not pollinated, we don't have food. We're going to die. I mean, that's that's right. Serious, really serious. But it speaks to the fact that we have to have pollination. Sex has a role in the survival of our world. So celebrate it. Right. That's right. So everybody out there, Absolutely. We, we encourage our audience to, to make some sweet love today, <laughs> especially during Beltane. Well, but what you were talking about magic there is that you said um, ritual without intent is just a ritual. And it's the intent that gives it the meaning and, and gives it power. And so, you know, what we're going into, we're talking about, obviously, the symbolism here of the Maypole and things like that uh, is blatant. It's, I mean, it's, it's dreaming about the train going through the tunnel kind of thing. But, yes. that, but that's, um, but, you know, it's so that everybody gets on the same page there. Uh, and then, I mean, and that page might be a dirty magazine, but they, they want everybody to get on the same page for the idea of fertility and getting all the minds together, thinking the same thing as in let's create new life. Let's, we need it. We need it in our villages. We need it in our agriculture. Uh, you know, we need it all around in order to have a successful, thriving community. 
And, and so, um, you know, I think, I think that's, you know, th- those kind of rituals are cool. And we miss out on some of that in our very secular society where, um, you know, we put s- sex off to it becomes something that people see in a Victoria's Secret, like, you know, that's <laughs> where it's, it has nothing, it has to do with selling. It doesn't have anything to do with fertility or reproduction. It just has something like buy our underwear or whatever. Right, right. <laughs> it's true. And, and it's sad because back in agricultural times, Everybody understood that the land had to produce food in order for everybody to survive. So the intent in a ritual was commonly understood. Everybody knew why they were gathering. All of these big eight festivals, everybody understood why they were gathering. They understood the meaning of fire. They they understood the purpose or they understood the energetic change as the seasons changed. So there wasn't, there didn't have to be an education to say, oh, if you're going to come to our ritual, you have to understand this, this, and this. If, If you lived in those times, you knew it. But as we have changed and as we have become more of a secular society, what we look at now are routines. And we repeat the routine and wonder why it doesn't feel, we don't it, we still feel empty, but you have to have the intent. The intent is what makes the routine a ritual. And nowadays, you have to teach people about the intent because we've lost the natural connection. Well, and, and it, so let's say our, our listeners uh, are looking to have uh, some kind of ritual this Beltane uh, and this season of renewal and fruit fertility. Uh, can you give the you know? Can you give an example of the kind of ritual you might recommend? Or if somebody came to you and said, Zeta, uh, I, I need the ritualist for this one because I want to you know I'm I'm I've got to fertilize some crops or whatever. Or I want my plants to grow great this year or I want my family to get bigger. Um, what what are some rituals that you might recommend to them so they can celebrate this? Uh, fortuitous fer- fertilizius? Yeah. I, I don't know how you say fertilizius yeah. or, you know, <laughs> time yeah. of year. Well, one, one thing, I mean, it goes back to one of the very old practices for May Day, Beltane, uh, was the idea of the, the May Day baskets, the May baskets. I love so, this one. And, and, you, and you just, you get a little basket of flowers. It does not have to be fancy. You could even get a little plastic pot and uh, and and set it in colored foil but the flower in it you want something that has multiple blooms so a little pot of of a bunch of pansies or or some little flower that's got like you know, a bunch of the little tiny bells on it something that not something that has a singular bloom like a sunflower but something with multiple flowers and just something little i mean you a dollar 99 go down to your nursery or your grocery store that sells plants and the idea is that you you wrap it in something pretty like put a pretty foil around it or or attach a pretty ribbon to it and you leave it on somebody's doorstep and just you know put a little note in it that just says happy may day and you you don't the idea is that you don't seek acknowledgement for the fact that you left it it's an act of generosity of giving a symbol of of something that multiplies something that's fertile something that comes from the earth to somebody else and with the understanding that that good energy will come back to you in some way and then one of the other things you can do is get um you know get a little um 
a little symbol of a fairy, or even you could even go online and get a um, what do you call those little clip art? You'll get a little a clip art picture of a fairy and just cut it out, color it with some colored pencils, put a little double sided tape behind it, and you place that little fairy you know, in the kitchen over the sink or by your computer. And I have fairies in both of those places. One is one that my grandson drew, and one is one that I made. But I have those little fairies all around the house. And when I see them, I just, I look at them and I am reminded that there's a lot of energy out there in the world where people who don't even know me want to help me, just as I want to help people I don't know. The The item of a ritual is to focus your energy and your intent. I think that the biggest danger is when people think that it has to be a certain way. It doesn't have to be a certain way. Find an acorn. If you live near the woods, go find an acorn, a symbol of something that's going to grow big. Gather a little gather a little bowl or even just a, a little plastic bag. Well, no, not not plastic. Uh, a little cloth, <laughs> piece of cloth, you know, wrap it up in a string and of of acorns and just leave those for people to find. Leave them anywhere, leave them out for the squirrels. But you leave them saying, this is a symbol of abundance that comes from the fertility of Beltane. And may it nourish you in whatever way you need nourishing. I mean, Mike and Wendy, I'll tell you, this morning, this morning when my daughter called, she calls every day on her way into work. Uh, nice. She asked what I was going to do today. And I said, oh, I said, I'm going to be on my first podcast interview oh, this afternoon. And hey. she said, oh, gosh, well, that's great. She said, what's it about? And I said, well, it's a paranormal podcast. And I said, and the hosts want to talk with me about magic and Beltane. And she said, oh, my gosh, mom, you are going so far out of your comfort zone. Aww. And she said, and I'm so proud of you. And, and, but that's the kind of thing. So you guys don't realize the benefit you're giving me. So that's that's a that's a that's a fertility thing. That's a sharing of energy. I'm helping you with a you know to have a a show that you can that you can share, and you're helping me by giving me an opportunity to speak about something that's very important to me. That's an exchange of energy. That is fertility. Well, we certainly appreciate your uh, going out of your comfort zone for us, yes. Zita, and and also for helping educate us and our audience on these topics here. Absolutely. I'm delighted. You know, uh, what I like what you're talking about there is that, you know, these rituals and and these magical things you can do are simple. The May baskets or the little fairy, but the little things that just, number one, um, they give you a conscientious sense of the changing of the season and the welcoming of the spring and the renewal of life. Uh, and number two, they're little things that brighten up other people's lives. Right. And yes. the little things that brighten up other people's lives, even if it's a momentary smile, you're giving somebody a smile that they did not have otherwise. And they could be having a totally crappy day. They could be in a hurry. They're more, you know, the car might not have started. Or um, in Wisconsin, they could have had to shovel snow. Uh, you know, all these kind of things that people have to do um, where they're going through and they're not, they, they don't have the opportunity to appreciate uh, the magic and life and just being alive, what, what it has to offer. They don't get that opportunity because it, it, it's, there's too much weighing on their minds. So offering people that little bit of solace and comfort and fun. That is magic. Is, 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 is it's all magic thing. And it's powerful. That's the thing people don't get. It's powerful. Very, very. Sometimes people will look at a small ritual and think, oh, that can't, that can't possibly do anything. It's too simple. 
But sometimes the the greatest benefit comes from those things that we think of as no big deal. They are big deals. Right. Absolutely. Now, Zita, uh, for the people who are interested in learning more about your rituals, a little more about your magic, maybe if they're on the East Coast, they're interested in... Uh, they can ha- go to the event. Yeah, they can go to your event in um, in Connecticut, not only, but also uh, if they're interested in having you design a ritual, uh, you know, a one-of-a-kind thing for their wedding event or um, particular, you know, uh, something to celebrate a, a, a milestone cycle of their life, where can they go find you? They should go to my website, which is moonriverrituals.com. Moon River, like the song, rituals, plural, dot com. And that's where they'll find, oh, they'll find lots of information, most of it geared to weddings, but there's a lot of other things there too. They'll also find information there about the podcast, Ritual Recipes. And on the podcast, I talk a lot about different rituals, seasonal rituals, wedding rituals, lots of other kinds of rituals. Exciting. We'll have links to all that in the show notes so you guys can find othersidepodcast.com slash 246. That's othersidepodcast.com slash 246. And we'll have links so you can learn more or ask Zita questions or anything like that there. Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, 246. It's up to 12. Reduce it to... Oh, that's beautiful. 12... Yeah, and that adds up to three, and that's a magic number. Oh my gosh! Oh, so fortuitous! Whoa! Hey, and so <laughs> that's cool. It all, we're already starting out on the right step. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, uh, thank you, Zita. Good, Thanks, Zita. Good luck with everything, and we hope that your uh, your Beltane celebration and Meg's inspirations goes wonderfully, and that your spring is the best one ever. Thank you so much. I appreciate it very much. You guys take care. So for Beltane this year, we wanted to write the kind of song that you could dance around the maypole to. So boys, grab the white streamers and girls, grab the red. And here's Sunspot with The Blossom Crown. Yeah. 
thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find us online at OthersidePodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side. We want to make a little bit of Beltane magic with you guys this May Day with our Patreon-only See You on the Other Side Hangout. That's right. Let's do that. How about on May 1st at 7.30 p.m. Central Time? That's right. May Day. And we can celebrate the changing of the seasons. If you're a commie, that May Day is a big day, too. <laughs> so you can break out your hammer and sickle or whatever. and do the th- It is a big deal. That's uh, what the Russians had the... Uh-huh. Uh, the tanks like rolled down. So we want you to roll down your tanks right to the See You on the Other Side hangout. We're going to be on Skype. And that is for our See You on the Other Side Patreon community members, which anyone can become a member, Mike. Anyone. That's right. It's very easy, comrades. All you got to do <laughs> is go to othersidepodcast.com slash donate and just join up for a little bit of money every month. We hang out. We talk to everybody. You can recommend episodes, feedback. You can be part of the See You on the Other Side discussion group. Movies that we watch yes. together. and. It's, it's all about uh, getting the community, talking about the weird stuff we hear, see, and experience. Do. <laughs> and, and do. And so it's a lot of fun. So um, we want to thank, number one, uh, Dr. Ned. Thanks, Ned. And he's at the level of Patreon community where he gets a shout out in every single episode. So, Ned, your uh, companionship and your, your, your patronage of our uh, program is a hundred, one thousand percent appreciated. So amazing, and that goes for every single one of you. So, no, thank you to our Patreon yes. community because without you, we would not be around. Truly appreciate it. Thank you. And so, make sure that you guys check us out May Day, seven thirty p.m. Central Time. We're going to have a meetup, and if you'd like to join up in time for the meetup, all you got to do is go to othersidepodcast.com/slash/donate. What do you say, Mike? Let's have a little magic on Beltane of our own, huh? Let's do that. Wait, that sounds really gross. (laughs) (laughs) I guess guess with the rest of the thing. (laughs) (laughs) Now we met everybody. Tell them about the hangout. All right, hold on. Start over.